Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri, and we're kind of we're doing a little tour around New England college sports, and I thought it'd be great to venture down and talk some UConn sports. And what better to talk to the voice of the UConn Huskies, Mike Crispino. Uh, he's the play-by-play voice of UConn football. Uh, basketball and baseball in the spring, 97.9 ESPN Radio FM and iHeartMedia. You can hear them all throughout the uh, sports calendar year. Mike, thanks again for uh, joining us here on the Lights, Camera, Sports Podcast. Nice to catch up with you. Yeah, Mike, great to, great to talk with you. Thanks. So, Mike, I like to go back with all my guests and just kind of see where they came from. Um, where did you grow up, and uh, was sports always a big factor in your life uh, growing up? Yeah, they were. I, I grew up in West Hartford, actually, where I, where you're living now. Until uh, I was in high school, we lived in West Hartford, and I played Little League there and, and all, all the other sports I could, you know, pony football and all that. And then we, uh, my dad owned a, a food business, retail food grocery store, and he moved out to Manchester in my high school uh, year as a freshman to open a new store. So we moved there, and I went to East Catholic and uh, played football and, and baseball there as well. So, yeah, sports is always big for me. I mean, just, just just time I would spend, like, banging the you know tennis ball against the back of our garage and getting my mother all upset playing games, you know. So I uh, that's what I did for, you know, much of my growing up years. And we had neighborhood kids. We played all kinds of baseball games and basketball games and whatever we could to, to – uh, you know, take up our recreational time. We'd get on our bikes and ride up to Webster Hill School and play baseball games and the fenced areas there. And then we, we just, that's what we lived for. All the guys I knew in our neighborhood, that's what we did most of the time. Yeah, that's that's funny. Wow, so you're East Catholic guy, the rival from Northwest. <laughs> yes, right. My son went to Northwest. My wife went to Northwest. We went to Manchester, and I went to East Catholic. And yeah, they, they were good rivals in those years. I mean, they, they had some great rivalries uh, in that Hartford County Conference with South Catholic and East Catholic, and Xavier was involved for a while, too. So uh, those were great rivalries. And now I know from there you went on to the University of Hartford. I was doing research. I read that's kind of where you got the broadcasting bug, if am I correct, uh, with the Hartford Hawks men's basketball. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. I did. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I can hardly remember how that happened now, but somehow I had some friends that went to the University of Hartford and uh, we were talking about it. And, you know, they told me about, uh, well, George Ehrlich was the former UConn play by play guy, legendary play by play guy. And he had gone over to the University of Hartford when they went Division One. And I was affiliated just briefly with WINF in. Manchester, a little AM station that uh, George worked with, and somehow George and I got to talking about it. I don't know how. I was doing a little bit of part-time work there, and we got to talking about it. And, and I, you know, wanted to know if I maybe he could use a, a you know, analyst for basketball. And he said, "Well, well let's, let's see. Let's try it out." And 
we started working together, and uh, he, was, he was a great mentor. He was a guy that really had great experience, great voice, understood basketball. So uh, those were fun times, <laughs> you know, working for $50 a game and traveling to Oriental, Maine to play Maine's Black Bears. <laughs> uh, that was romantic at the time. I remember driving up in a snowstorm, uh, you know, fighting that to get up to do a basketball game. I remember going up to upstate New York, Colgate, and playing them in front of 50 people, you know, but uh, for me, it was just—it was just a different world, and, and uh, I loved basketball. So it was a great opportunity to sort of be around college basketball, be around the environment, and work with someone who was uh, had tremendous experience. And then you moved on WRCH and um, and I, WVIT Channel Thirty, NBC Thirty. That's where remember that's actually where my first memory of you, Mike, is too. Those times at uh, Channel Thirty. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you covered the Patriots Super Bowl and the Bears in the mid-'80s? Is that, is that, yes, that time period? Yeah, I, I, uh, well, WRCH, it's funny you mention that, because that's one of the first jobs I actually got paid in broadcasting. I was doing, I want to I say, an afternoon show, maybe, or something of that nature. And then my the general manager there, who was also the program director, said, why don't you do like a sports commentary in the morning for us? So I'd get off the air and I'd do that, and uh, that's how I kind of got into that that whole thing about you know really observing sports and having an opinion about it. I think we he said, "Why don't you call it one man's opinion on sports?" I said, "Okay," and that's why I started doing that. And uh, ultimately, I actually the second job I had after that was in a public station up in New Hampshire, Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, a new station opened up. And a friend of mine had gotten a job at a nearby rock and roll station up there, and he told me about it. So I went up there, applied for this music director's job, and, and so I started working for public radio, doing a jazz show at night, and I'd be a public relations guy during the day, trying to, you know, let the people of New Hampshire know because it was public radio of New Hampshire, kind of letting them know about this new station that just came on the air. And so I did that for a year, and. Uh, a friend of mine who I'd worked with at the University of Hartford, his uh, his girlfriend had gone to work at ESPN in their very early stages, and uh, where they had one building, they really didn't know what they were doing, and uh, she told me, well, why don't you send us a tape? <laughs> and I said, I don't have a tape, I don't do television, I do radio. She goes, well, go across the street, there's a public television station over there, ask them if they'll record a tape for you. And I said, okay, why, I guess so. And so I went over there, you know, with no idea what I was doing, and I recorded something, and uh, maybe doing a commentary, I can't remember now. And I sent it to her, and um, this was when they were really, literally had just gotten off the ground. I mean, so I got hired to do what they were trying, what they were trying to figure out is what do we do with this ESPN in Bristol, right, which we know now is the worldwide leader in sports, but at the time, they were basically broadcasting some college football games, you know, Connecticut's games and, and things of that nature, and they were saying, well, what do we do next? And uh, one of the people who was in charge of that, Bill Fitz, they decided, well, let's try to do some sports updates during the day, and then maybe we'll do a sports show at 6 o'clock at night or something like that. They were really flying by the seat of their pants. They were just guessing, what, what should we do? <laughs> so they, they hired me and another guy, uh, Jimmy Myers, who was working in Boston, and we came down and we were doing these updates. It was, it was totally blind. I mean, we had no teleprompter. We had no highlights. We would just get on and, and talk for a minute and a half or something like that, or three minutes or whatever. It was tough because I hadn't had any TV experience, and 
the other guys who were working there had just gotten there too. I mean, uh, Chris Berman was there, uh, Tom Mees, who's no longer with us, uh, Bob Lee, uh, Greg Gumble, and there were a couple other guys, George Grant, Lou Palmer, who were kind of local guys had been working in the New Haven market and in the Hartford market, and they all were working there, again, trying to figure out what are we going to do. So uh, <laughs> they did a little bit of everything, and that's what my role was. It lasted maybe six months, but um, that eventually helped me put a tape together that I could give to the uh, news director at uh, Channel 30, Mildred McNeil, and um, she was kind of she was looking for a, a local person who had some local knowledge, and I was a local person, you know, from the area, and so she hired me as a weekend uh, sports anchor, and that's when I started doing television in the, for a local uh, NBC-owned and operated affiliate in Hartford, WVIT. So that was kind of a an interesting little convoluted way to get into television. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. You kind of you went to ESPN first. You don't hear about that often. And then... <laughs> no, I know. But like I said, they were they were in a in a position of experimentation. They didn't know what they wanted to do. Um, and then ultimately, guys went their separate ways. Some guys hung around. Like obviously, Chris Berman stuck for decades, you know. And then George Grant worked there for a couple of decades. And uh, Greg Gumble left for CBS eventually, and I think in New York. I'm, I'm not sure where he went next, but you know, uh, Bob Lee just retired from there. He he stayed there the entire time. He, you know, they all found their niche. You know, that's the whole thing with these kind of uh, companies, broadcast entities. You got to find your niche, something that people you know want you for, need you for. And I mean, that's what I ended up doing in New York. I, I found a niche with a the Madison Square Garden Network, where I was a staff announcer and was able to host studio on location, play-by-play, report. And I, I kept myself valuable for, you know, 25 years doing that. And that's kind of what the business is, you know. Yeah, and that's a great... To the people you work for. That's a great segue to my next question. So from Hartford, you, I, you went to Boston, uh, WLVI, for a couple of years, 88 to 92. You won some awards there, Best Sports Department, 89 and 90 in New England. And then just talk about that time with the Celtics as well, and then uh, obviously going to New York from there. That was a huge break, Mike, because I was living in Connecticut. I was, I was feeling like I had done what I could do at BIT. And it was during that time, I got to cover, you know, the Patriots Super Bowl in 86. Uh, no, Patriots Super Bowl 85. Uh, the Giants Super Bowl in 86, too, which was tremendous. Went to Pasadena. So, I, I mean, I was covering it from a local angle. Because, you know, Connecticut, Hartford area, that's a giant and patriot area. Yes. So I got to do that stuff. Uh, you know, on a shoestring, we, we were able to talk our news director into it, saying people really care about this stuff. And um, But I was feeling like maybe I had done what I could in that marketplace. I wanted to get to a place that really, you know, um, was involved in sports events rather than sports news. Uh, and, and so, you know, just by happenstance, I had sent a tape to couple of stations in Boston and someone, a news director from Channel 56 called me and, uh, you know, asked me to come up there to interview. He, you know, it, like anything in life, you, you have to be a little lucky. It's got to be timing. Um, and that's what it was because he had some issues going on with his sports director and he was going to have to let him go or something. I, I didn't know the real politics of it all, but anyway, Jack Fitzgerald was you know, a veteran news director in Boston had been, I think he'd been at Channel 5 
uh, he'd been at a couple of the big stations, and he was starting up this 10 o'clock newscast. Uh, the Gannett newspaper started a TV station there, Channel 56, and uh, they had the Celtics broadcast. Uh, they did the road games while Sports Channel at the time did the home games. So, you know, I was thrilled just to go up there and have a chance to talk to somebody about it. And then and they hired me to do the job as a sports director. So we had a big, we had a huge show at 10 o'clock. We did by over 10 minutes of sports news, which is unheard of now. Wow. We do like four minutes at, at the bottom of uh, 1025, let's say. And then Boston's a great sports town, obviously. So there was an appetite for it. So. I did four minutes at the bottom of the hour, and then I, we came back and did six more minutes. We had more sports on than anybody, by far. And uh, so I got that chance, and, and we had the Celtics on the road games, and they wanted their sports director to do the game. So that was my real first, you know, high-profile play-by-play job. It was it was uh, interesting because I didn't have that much play-by-play experience. I had a lot of, you know, minor stuff. With I worked with Nesson a little bit. I worked you know, on some high school things, and then uh, a little bit of college work, and then uh, next thing I know, I'm doing the Celtics with Bob Cousy, who's, you know, a Hall of Famer and and one of the most famous, you know, Boston Celtics players ever. And so he was kind of in his prime as a broadcaster, and we were doing the road games for a couple years. So that was a tremendous experience for me. That that just was, and it was an eye-opener, because the NBA, I believe, wasn't that, close to it at the time but all of a sudden we're right in the middle of it so uh, that was that was just a great experience and i really got to love that league and the players and the and the it was you know it was really the heart of uh, larry bird's era there and robert Parrish and kevin McHale and, and uh, dennis johnson danny ainge all those guys were in their primes and the uh, celtics had won in 86 they were still top of the heap you know best team in the east 87, 88, then Bird got hurt in 89, I think, or 88 maybe it was, and so they struggled, and then he came back, and they, they, they got back to the playoffs. So I was I was able to see at least some of the greatness of Larry Bird and all those guys uh, as, as they were members of the Boston Celtics. Yeah, no question about it. You caught the, you know, at least the, the, the second part of that stage. That's, well, that's quite a career, too, from going local Hartford to calling Larry Bird's games. <laughs> 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 it was. I was. I mean, I have funny stories about it because you know, as a rookie broadcaster, you're going to get hazed by the players. And Bird was great, a practical joker, and uh, he knew I was a new guy. And then uh, I went in the locker room. We used to go in the locker room afterwards to kind of do some post game stuff for our ten o'clock news or whatever we were doing. And and he, and he you know, one time I went in there, and, and uh, unbeknownst to me, he had basically told couple of other the players like we're not talking to that guy you know as a joke and i didn't know i go in there i start talking the guys are like you know giving me the, the silent treatment and i'm thinking okay they don't like me very much and uh <laughs> and finally robert Parrish in his bellowing low voice goes come on larry leave the guy alone you know come on <laughs> and then they said he's just joking with you you know and i said that, that kind of broke the ice and i felt much better after that that's <laughs> funny. I felt like oh man larry bird doesn't like me this is not going to work out well <laughs> that's that's a very interesting that's cool um okay then so uh in 92 you join msg in the knicks and just talk about that experience you're there i think you said 25 years with msg yeah well i i always wanted to be with uh <clears throat> Well, we were, you know, the, what had happened in Boston is 
there's a lot of upheaval with the TV contract with the Celtics. <clears throat> Excuse me, and this stuff happens in this business. If you follow it, and I know you do, um, in 92, the Celtics were kind of going downhill. Bird was almost ready to retire. You know, he, he was hurting, and, and you just felt like the Celtics in their heyday used to do double-digit ratings, huge ratings, but those ratings had gone, probably slipped to half of that by 92, and Gannett was paying quite a bit of money for rights fees, and I think they were thinking about not renewing it, and um, the general manager at uh, Gannett, Channel 56, was under a lot of pressure to make it work somehow, and instead he left he went to Fox 25, which was just starting uh, 10 o'clock news themselves. And he took the, uh, the Celtic deal that ended and he ran off to channel 25. Jerry Walsh was his name. He, he left and went over to 25 and became their general manager based on the fact he was going to bring the Celtics with him. And he did. So we lost the Celtics and that was painful because it was a big part of you know our station and our identity. So that was the point where I said, hmm, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't want to do just the 10 o'clock news every night. I started looking around, and talk radio hadn't become a big deal yet, Mike, uh, in Boston, which now it's huge. I mean, the ratings they're doing in Boston, talk radio for sports is, are just amazing. But at the time, there was no talk radio. I think if there was talk radio going on, I probably would have stuck around in Boston and been more immersed in the overall marketplace, but I was starting to think, well, maybe it's time to, to look for another another outlet where I can, you know, get involved in live events on a regular basis. And uh, Madison Square Garden had just acquired the Yankees two or three years before, you know, 92. And a friend of mine had been working there for a while, a guy that I went to high school with, Leon Schweier, who's a pretty good friend and, and a real talented producer, executive producer. He did the Yankees for over two decades and worked at MSG for almost three decades. But anyway, he told me they're going to start doing, ramping up their studio, uh, you know, shoulder programming for the Yankees and uh, the Knicks and the Rangers and whoever else they had. So there might be a need, you know, for an anchor down there. So I kind of reached out and I went down there and uh, was hired down there and was able to uh, work on every team every team in the marketplace there were nine pro teams plus Rutgers plus St. John's doing, you know, weekly shows with the colleges doing, you know, pro uh, pregame shows doing half times and intermissions and post games. And then eventually started doing play by play for, you know, as a fill in guy for the Rangers, for the Knicks and, you know, just about everybody in the marketplace because I was on the staff and we had the rights to all this stuff. So that led to uh, eventually working for the Knicks, and MSG for a few seasons, and that was uh, that was fun. You know, I just uh, play-by-play work is is fun. It's it's interesting. It's it's uh, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You know what I mean? It's not like you're reporting on something that already happened. Yeah, you're actually in it while it's happening. And uh, when it's good, there's nothing better. When it's you know not good, you got to make it sound good, and you got to you got to you got to work harder at it. You know, and so that's what I did with uh, with them for 25 years. Yeah, that's, that gives me, that made me think of, you know, there are a lot of, you know, there's some good years, the Knicks, but there are a lot of down years as well. What did you do in like a Tuesday night game in, you know, in Portland, Oregon, when the Knicks are down by 25 in the third quarter? How do you kind of get through that game in your mindset? Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. 
CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Well, you try to keep it interesting in the sense that uh, try to appreciate the athleticism. Now, you know, in television, it's easier because you can do replays. You can talk to your analyst. He can analyze things. And I did a lot of games over the years with uh, with Walt Frazier, John Andres, guys that were experienced, you know, analysts and uh, really knowledgeable NBA guys. So that helps. And then uh, if it's radio, you got to somehow project excitement just about what's happening. You know, a lot of times it's going to be LeBron James or Kobe Bryant going off on the Knicks or something like that. That's not <laughs> totally fun for the Nick home fan, but you got to project the excitement of what it is and and make it an interesting listen. You know, the thing about working there and radio was you always felt like there was people listening because it's a huge market, right? There's 15 million people. Um, you probably got 3 million of them driving around at any given time. And uh, I always felt like there was always going to be an audience for that in, uh, in New York because people are on the move all the time and they're in their cars, so they'll be listening. So that always kept you on your toes. You had to, you had to bring the best every night because you're, you're working on the number one market in the country. And, uh, and that, that was a point of pride, I think. You, you just try to make it as good, if not better, than what, what's going on on the court. <laughs> you, know, you do your best you can to keep the listener engaged and keep them entertained. Do you have a favorite moment from your Knicks uh, time working with the team? Yeah, I, I think that playoff series when they knocked the Celtics out and ended the Pierce and, uh, and Kevin Garnett era, I thought that was exciting because the Knicks were a really competitive team all year under uh, – under Mike Woodson, they won 54 games, I think. And, you know, I don't want to say they made it look easy, but, you know, they won They won a lot of games, and they played great basketball. And that whole series with the Celtics was uh, was great because they were able to put them away and end, end that era with, with those guys. And uh, they had won a championship with that group, and um, that kind of put an end to it. And, you know, for, for New York to beat Boston in basketball, that doesn't happen that often, right? you got to go back to the 70s when the Knicks knocked off uh, Havlicek and company in, like, 73 and went on to win an NBA title. That's, we're talking a lot of years. The Celtics have had, you know, all those championships the Knicks have had, too. So that was a, that was a great experience. I, I felt like, you know, if you're a Knicks fan, you're really reveled in that. And uh, so those that as a series was fun for me. They just played great. They took care of business. They won in Boston. You know, this, all the stuff that's hard to do, they did in that series. So that one comes to mind. There's a lot of other ones, but that one, that one definitely comes to mind. Okay. So in the you know, and let's fast forward now a little bit to the current time. Um, talk about UConn now. This is you know interesting. Yeah, UConn uh, football meant there was WTIC for years, decades. Uh, they shift their gears last what was it? Yeah, a year ago, right? Last summer, and um, you you joined the team. Just talk about how that all came together, your experience, and uh, uh, just the, the early the early thoughts of what you knew about UConn sports. Obviously, from Connecticut, but never really worked directly with them uh, going into this position. 
Yeah, I've always followed them. Obviously, they're in my backyard. I mean, I lived in Connecticut all those years, but, but I wasn't as close to it as as UConn fans are because they live and die for it. You know, they, they just live and breathe UConn Husky sports. So uh, they had had a tremendous amount of success. I mean, you win four national championships in men's basketball, 11 in women's. I mean, that's that's unheard of, right? That's that's the gold standard, really, over the last couple of decades. So I was aware of it, and I knew Jim Calhoun from when he first got to the uh, Connecticut in 86. I was still working at BIT, and I covered, actually, one of the last things I covered was the springtime NIT championship they won in the Garden, uh, Calhoun's, I want to say, third year. And that was just out of nowhere, a shock to everybody. Because UConn had been down for a few years before Calhoun got there, so he was. It's always great to be on the upswing with a team or with a franchise or with a program because, you know, when you when you haven't had success for a while and, and UConn's going through that right now a little bit, you uh, when you get it back when you when that thirst is quenched again for winning, there's nothing better than that. And I remember it back in the mid '80s. I was a little bit part of it. I covered them in the NIT run. Uh, and virtually nobody was covering them even then, honestly. VIT, uh, I, I convinced Channel 30, I said, we've got to cover these, this team because something could happen. And, you know, ultimately it did. It went all the way to New York and won the thing. So it was, it was a, a special moment for them. And then they went on to have, you know, 20 great years, really, where they won all those Big East titles and all those games in the Garden and, of course, the national championships. So I knew about it. I was aware of it. I had been part of it a little bit early on, but not during the prime of it. So, you know, I rely on Wayne Norman a lot, the analyst who I work with. He's, he's kind of the encyclopedia, the historian. He knows all, all of what's happened. He's been there. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm from the periphery. I've known what they've done, and I, I know Jim Calhoun pretty well. I've spent some time talking to him over the last couple of years. Um, why he's the coach at St. Joe's. I work out over there in West Hartford, so I saw a lot of him. And we talked a lot about his career, and, and we have a lot of similar, you know, sensibilities about basketball. He's a Boston guy. I grew up a, kind of a Celtics fan, you know, during the years that he, the you know, 70s, 80s. So, you know, we had a lot in common as far as that goes. So it's been interesting, I got to say. It's, it's exciting because I think, you know, they got nowhere to go but up on a lot of levels in uh, in football, certainly, and in basketball. So I have a good feeling about where they're going. And uh, the, the thing, the move to the Big East will be great. Even the football move to Independence for a couple of years, I think, is going to be interesting. They're going to play some really good opponents. And I think it's going to be exciting in the next couple of years. And the baseball program has been excellent for many years under Jim Penders. Uh, and I played for his dad at East Catholic. His yeah. dad was a great baseball coach. And a mentor of mine, so I know their family very well. So that's been fun being around those, you know, Jim Penders and his dad and the baseball team. And so all that, uh, I have a lot of uh, common interests and common uh, history with. So uh, it's really been a pretty easy transition for me, except that it's all college now. You know, it's not the pros, it's college. So that's a little different than the, uh, than the pros are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how and with the broadcast, that's interesting. How so? How is it different in terms of being critical? You, you mean like uh, with college players versus professionals? Is that what you uh, you mean by that? Well, you have to remember, 
like that they are college. They are amateurs. I mean, yes. they are in school. Uh, I know a lot of people think that you know, things happen, which just proves that theory. But honestly, they are college students. <laughs> so they're, not prof- they're not professionals yet. And, uh, and you know, many of the guys aspire to be professional, but most of them won't be. So you have to understand that. You know, they're young. These guys, you know, these players are in their teens and early 20s. You know, pros have been around you know, in their mid-20s to late-20s, early-30s. A lot different experience with them. So <clears throat> I kind of appreciate it. I, 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 I approach it as if it's uh, it's an open book for these players. Uh, like UConn's got four young guys coming in this year who people are going to get to know and are going to get to appreciate, and I'm going to enjoy that. In basketball, I'm talking about. And in football, they got a, they got a whole group of guys who are coming in who are grad transfers who are a little older, but they're new to UConn. I mean, that's, that's part of the fun of it, getting to know the new people and learn their stories and, and understand what they're going through to try to reach a high level in their sport. Uh, and the experience of working with, you know, new coaches and, and being in a marketplace like Connecticut, which is, you know, it's a good sports market. Let's face it, people love UConn. They really do. They follow it. They're loyal to it. They, uh, they're they very passionate about it. And that's, that's the best market. That's the best place to be in, really, if you're doing sports. Be in a place where people care. Because if there's apathy and no one really cares, honestly, your job isn't as exciting, I don't think. And that's a great point. What? Uh, just the last couple of questions. Looking ahead specifically this year with football right around the corner, um, just give me your first impressions when you met Randy Outsall. What do you think about him? And uh, what do you think about this year's team? Obviously, last year, like you mentioned earlier, you can only go up from there, specifically that defense. But what, what do you think of the general take? What should fans expect for UConn football this year in 2019? Well, they're going to be better. They're going to have better players. I think they've got a couple of coaches uh, and, a, and a new training, uh, weight training person that are going to really enhance their physicality, and that's where they were behind the eight ball a little bit last year. Randy went with a number of freshmen. Most games he was playing eight freshmen, true freshmen. Now, nobody does that. It's, it's very hard because physically, you know, players who are 18, 19 years old are not ready to play against 23, 24-year-olds, which... Many of the opponents for UConn were. I mean, most of the rosters each week we looked at uh, from the opponents were full of players who were redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors, meaning they had been around for four or five years. And UConn was playing with multiple, you know, freshmen, maybe eight to twelve freshmen among the starting twenty-two. So we were just up against it physically, and, and they got not only worn down, they got blown out a few times. So this year they'll have less of that. They'll be more experienced defensively. Uh, they got an offensive line that's very experienced. They've been cohesive, been together. They had a pretty good run last year in terms of yardage and, uh, and points put together. So I think their offense will be okay. And uh, the defense will be more experienced. They're going to be bigger, stronger, faster. That's what Randy's been preaching. <clears throat> he knows. I mean, he, in his 10-year run the first time around, he understood every, you know what it was about at Connecticut, how to develop players. He had to recruit, you know, three-star players because uh, you're not going to get four-star, five-star players to come to Connecticut. That's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean you can't develop three-star players into four-star guys. And, and I think the proof's in the pudding with how many 
players from UConn ended up in the NFL over the you know ten years Randy was there originally. So I have complete trust in what he's doing. I, I think he understands how to build a football team. But it's tough to watch when the team is getting overwhelmed and blown out, right? So this is what we're hoping you know will not happen this year. And uh, he's the things he's been saying. I I understand. Uh, in my mind, are, are, are little cues to what you're going to see when the season starts. You're going to see a, a better group of players. You're going to be more cohesive. They're going to be bigger. They're going to be quicker to the ball. Uh, I think uh, Luis Spanos, the defensive coordinator, is going to have a, a major impact in that area. He's pretty aggressive. Great experience with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers for a bunch of years. Been in the NFL quite a long time. Uh, was coaching, I think, at UCLA more recently. Um, he's got some ability. So I, I think all that being said, you know, if they find some uh, skill players who can put the ball in the air and, and get the ball down the field a little bit, uh, you know, a quarterback or two that they can trust to move the football for them, I think they're going to be competitive. And uh, who knows what they can do? I mean, I know 1-11 and 11 is hard to, hard to look at, but that's in the past. Now you're looking ahead and you look at the schedule and uh, – in the league they're in, you know, that league's up and down. Uh, two or three schools in that league have been down for a couple of years, and who knows, maybe UConn catches them on the downside as they're sweeping upwards in their, you know, in their uh, progress. So uh, it could anything could happen. Uh, it's, that's the fun of it. I think I hope the fans get that. I mean, I know, you know, the last couple of years haven't been very good. The last five or six years haven't been very exciting, but, you know what? Again, beyond the beyond the upswing with a program, that's the best. That's the best thing I can say. Enjoy that ride because that is fun if you get it going in the right direction. Okay, I like the positive vibe. So maybe you're saying maybe maybe a bowl game, maybe six wins could be a good goal for this year's some, team. Some teams went to a bowl game, Mike, with five wins. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Think about it. They play yep. about forty of those games, don't they? I mean, it's yeah. I know it's absurd, but. Listen, if they get competitive and uh, and they get uh, respectable and they, you know, compete every week, don't get blown out, uh, you know, you're going to have your down weeks, obviously. But uh, take care of some business at home and get some people excited. Uh, a lot of good things can happen. That's why I look at it. I mean, uh, it's a process. He's been, Randy's been there since his third year now. This might be the first year I think like he's kind of got a hang of, what he needs in terms of the uh, the roster, you know, the depth of positions and and so forth. And uh, and again, recruiting's everything. We all know that. Uh, and he's working at it, and his guys work at it. And uh, you got to get UConn still has a pretty good brand. I know. I know it sounds funny to say that they're going one and eleven, and being you know the worst defense in the country and all those things. But you know, every year's a new year. That's why I look at it. You can go from nowhere to somewhere pretty quick. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Look at UCF a couple of years ago. The own O for everything, and they and then they right. go undefeated two years later. Yeah. Um, and then, that, right. That's unbelievable what they did. Yeah. No question about it. And now, um, just you mentioned briefly, but just to recap, you like the move to the Big East for basketball. I do too. I'm a little. I got to be honest with you. I'm a little concerned about football. The independent status being like a UMass type status. Um, I just don't know who, uh, where the the direction is and. Who they play, but I think you. I sense from you that you think it's it's positive. It's to go the independent route for football. Well, talking to uh, the athletic director David Benedict, he's already gotten a number of phone calls from schools who want to schedule them. 
<clears throat> right now, UConn, over the next couple of years, is an attractive opponent, not only because they're down a little bit, people want wins, but number two, they have flexibility, right? So if somebody calls and says, well, we got to play you on November 1st, UConn doesn't have to worry about a conference game. They'll say, okay, we'll play. You know, I'm just giving some teams that uh, David Benedict explained has already reached out to him. Eight different ACC schools have asked him about, you know, playing. So, you know, play Pittsburgh on November 1st. Play uh, Boston College. Play Syracuse. There's lots of ways you can go. I mean, Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech, people like that. There's, there's games to be had. You know, there's certain conferences. The ACC has a, kind of an odd number of games they play, and they have open weeks in a lot of places. And now, you know, you, you can look for a school like UConn and pick them up and play them. So I, I got to think the schedule, to me, is going to be more interesting in the next couple of years than it's been in the previous five years because, I mean, for UConn football fans, who cares about Tulsa? Who cares about Tulane, East Carolina? There's no, you know, there's no rivalry there. But you say we're playing Syracuse, we're playing Boston College, we're playing Army, or we're playing BYU, or we're playing uh, Navy, or, you know, there's any number of, you know, schools that are attractive that have slots in their schedule that UConn can fill in, I think that's great. I mean, if I'm a football fan, I want to go see an opponent that's kind of interesting, you know. Uh, they're going to play their UMass. That's a local rival, okay? They're going to play, I don't know, maybe they play Liberty once, twice. I don't know. There's there's some schools that you're probably going to say, well, so what? But if you've got 8 to 10 really interesting opponents, you know, you're going to go play Clemson, okay, you're kind of a sacrificial lamb there, but you're going to go play, you know, who knows, maybe you put Florida State on the schedule, maybe you get, you know, there's a lot of ways you can make that schedule interesting, and I think, I think based on where they've been and then the schedule of opponents they've played in the last five years, uh, I don't know that Connecticut fans care that much about the people they played, honestly, SMU, Houston, I don't know, Cincinnati, I don't know, yeah. uh, Temple, maybe. I mean, you can go out and play Rutgers. You can go out and play Maryland. You can go out and play some opponents who are, you know, higher profile than what, what you have in the AAC. And to me, if you're a football fan, I kind of like that. Let's let's play them. Let's see where they are. Let's see where we are and find out. I mean, again, it's the mystery. You don't know what's going to happen. Right? Yeah, that's the beauty of sports. Yep, that's that. You're right, and that you bring up a lot of good points. I hope they can kind of figure out a TV contract with no conference and the bowl affiliation too. Those are my two things. Like, where do they go? They get seven wins um, for bowl because the bowl tie-ins are with conferences for the most part. I think I think they'll find some way to make a deal with Fox. Yeah, or maybe SNY because you know, like SNY, for instance. Yeah, they have the Mets, and uh, but the Mets generally are out of it by October, early. So you know, maybe maybe you put a couple, and maybe you put six UConn games on from October on. Maybe maybe FS1, you make a deal with them because you're going to be a Big East affiliate, you know, if they're a Big East franchise, I should say, in the next year. So I'm sure they have a lot of discussion going on with Fox, um, and then you could maybe. You know, I'm thinking like TIC Television. Uh, I know John Hitchcock's a very uh, forward-thinking general manager over there, and uh, local-oriented, and, and uh, is very progressive in his thinking. Um, I, I don't doubt that even they reach out because of the uh, the fact that UConn will be on Fox 
you know, for, for the Big East basketball, and maybe he makes a bid for a couple of September games or something like that. So I, I think that that part's going to work out. I do. There's enough people out there that need content. You know, yeah, you're not going to be on ESPN, maybe maybe one or two times or whatever, but I think the affiliation with Fox should, should uh, deliver some, uh, some potential opportunities on television. Yep, and I agree with you. It's a move they had to make, really, uh, just for basketball alone. Really, you got to make that move to the Big East. And I will get to. I, we don't talk about now. Maybe get you back on the winter. But just briefly, I know you must be excited for the Big East basketball schedule. At least the traveling part of it a lot easier for you now too. <laughs> yeah, the travel in the AAC is tough. <laughs> I didn't realize how tough it was. I mean, going to Tulsa, going to SMU, going to Houston, going to Wichita State. Uh, those are long trips, and you, you play a game and a midweek game, and you travel back. Uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to charter a lot of times with the teams, but still, we're getting back three, four in the morning. I mean, it ain't, it's not easy. <clears throat> this this is much different. I mean, you go to play Seton Hall, you play St. John's, you play Georgetown. I mean, you can literally, you can bust to those places. You play Providence. Um, you can play half of your schedule pretty much without getting an airplane. Uh, and they're going to be playing 20 uh, conference games next year, so... You know, ten road games and at five, let's say five or six, or you don't have to get in an airplane. That's pretty cool, I think, for for UConn basketball players. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to travel to Marquette. You're going to have to travel to Creighton probably because obviously you're playing home and homes. Um, so yeah, you're going to have to go to the Midwest, play DePaul. So maybe you have three or four trips there. But honestly, uh, the travel can be much better. For these these players and, and again you, you talk about supposed student athletes but i remember jim penders telling me this in baseball i mean the, tri- the trips they had to make and the schedules they had to play on the weekends and coming back on monday commercially and all that he said it's really you're really asking a lot of these guys to uh to be student athletes and be in class for two three days and then all of a sudden bang they got to get on the road again and go you know travel down to ucf and play a series of baseball games so I think I think overall, you know, it's going to be much better, much better for the student athlete part of it, and that, and that you know, there's wear and tear in that, there's stress in that, right? For the players, for the coaches, I think it's just all together a much better scenario for them. Well, you're right, Mike. You can sense the you can sense the excitement that Biggie's move, ticket sales. You'd love more people are talking just about UConn sports. That's that's going to be great for you guys. iHeartMedia, ESPN Radio, ninety-seven point nine. Uh, my last question for you, Mike Crispino, voice of the Huskies. Um, what do you like to do outside of sports? Your free time? Uh, I know you, go- you like to golf. What, tell the fans, give us a behind the scenes in your life, what you like to do in your free time. <laughs> well, for, for years, I was following my son around playing baseball. He was a Division One baseball player at Fairfield University. Uh, I captained a couple championship teams there. Wow, a nice. Championship teams went to an NCAA tournament. So I was, a lot of my free time was spent doing that. So now, now I, you know, I do play a lot of golf. When the summer comes around, I try to play as much as I can. Uh, I also officiate. I, I do basketball in a winter high school, you know, in our area. Um, and then I also umpire, you know, wow. baseball and softball. So I, I do, I stay around sports. I do, and I love music. So I'll, I'll, do, I'll do some shows for um, University of Hartford. Uh, jazz shows like that. Uh, I'll host them when they need me. Um, morning, morning jazz, ninety-one point three FM. So I do that. That's a hobby of mine as well. Uh, so between all those things, I stay busy enough. 
you know, trying to stay in shape. That's a hard thing, staying in shape. <laughs> yeah, well, I can imagine, though. You got me thinking that high school basketball, that's a great way to stay in shape, right? Back and forth on court, running up yeah. and down, yeah, being a referee. sometimes at myself because I played basketball physically, you know, just pick up stuff until maybe a couple of years ago when the, uh, the joint started aching a little too much. But I'm able to get up and down for officiating, uh, and that's a great workout. So if I do that, let's say, twice a week, you know, and I'll do tournaments in the summer sometimes. And uh, I also, you know, what's good about that is you get to be around young people who, you know, have, a, have high hopes and dreams and they're trying to be great. And you get to see, you know, players when they're 14, 15, 16, who are in high schools in our area. And you get to see some of the really talented players who are, you know, playing, uh, playing basketball and loving that. So it's, it's good. It keeps you young. You know, I like that. It keeps me on top of things and it keeps me in the loop a little bit as to what's going on in our area. So I enjoy that. And I'm sure it keeps you perspective when you're calling a game, when you, uh, you know, you might, the referees, in your opinion, make a bad call. You kind of have a little bit of respect, I'm sure, uh, for what you do hey, in the high school level. quite a bit, Mike. I used to be a real, I used to be a bad play-by-play guy because I would complain about this call and that call. That wasn't, that didn't look right. This isn't right. I don't think that's the right call. I used to say that all the time. And uh, and since I started doing this about, I guess it would be about nine years ago now, I don't do much of that. I do not do that because I realize pretty much everything in officiating is a 50-50 call. So, uh, in fact, I was playing golf the other, about two weeks ago with uh, Josh Tibben, NBA official lives down in the Waterford area. I went down to his golf course. We were playing. We were talking. It's so funny how, you know, your just attitude just completely changes when you're on that side of things. You just have to realize that, you know, the, the officials doing the best they can, and they're not always going to get it right. And once the, the coaches understand and the broadcasters understand that, you realize that, guess what, you can't, you can't demand too much from an official except they're doing the best they can so it's a new perspective let's put it that way well mike we appreciate your perspective with the podcast here today and uh i know we went a little long but you know very interesting life story and the career and the the kind of the rebirth here yukon huskies in the biggest conference next couple years it should be exciting so thank you very much for the time you know my pleasure mike my pleasure Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.